along the way. And this is where our passage then this morning picks up with emotions abounding, with questions in the air, and with indeed sorrows that are deep and filling Mary's heart. And so it picks up then with Mary Magdalene asking, what have they done with my Lord? And that's where she is. And if you were her, that's where you are right now as we come to our verses here. So let's read here beginning with verse 10. May God bless and deeply affect our hearts and lives through the reading and receiving of his word this morning. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as they wept, or as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any. It is withheld. Now as we read of all these things and we're thinking through this, I think one point, you know, that people often don't consider as they think about, and I think especially perhaps us as believers, you know, and even perhaps unbelievers or skeptics even, They don't often see this about Jesus' resurrection, but they don't see how Jesus' own disciples didn't actually even believe that he had risen initially. 
They didn't, they didn't have this kind of, you know, expectation that this was happening. You know, you look at Mary even, and she's not looking out like, oh yeah, I'm expecting the tomb to be empty. She wasn't expecting it. She's wondering where in the world did they take his body out of the tomb and where did they put him? She's not looking in faith like, I'm waiting for a resurrection here. She's not doing any of that. She does, she's just like, what do I do now? I mean, this is not right that they did this. And so we see actually that not really any of them are believing, except we saw last week that John, surprisingly, he does. Be nice to know a little more and talk to John, <laughs> which technically we are talking to him. He's given us this whole gospel. And so we see even more of this next week, this, this as we look at doubting Thomas, but they, they all really kind of thought it was over. They didn't, they didn't really believe. And along with this, so John, he has certainly went to great lengths to ensure that you know that Jesus was really and truly dead. He wasn't faking it. He's not a ghost. He wasn't a ghost. He, he's not a phantom. He wasn't a phantom. His once beating heart is now beating. It's not beating anymore, right? At least before now. And so he's not kind of dead. He's not like barely dead. He is dead dead. Totally dead. And so you see it plainly here that John, he was doing that, you know, as he talks about Jesus' pure side, as he talks about his burial, he talks about even the empty tomb. We're seeing it's plain. He was dead, and so he goes to great lengths to show you this. Now, though, he goes to great lengths to make clear that Jesus is certainly alive. That Jesus is risen he is alive and the one who was totally dead is now totally alive. He is really and truly resurrected. The fact of the resurrection. Praise the Lord. And so then we have all these appearances here. He's trying to show you, oh yeah, even as Dennis read in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to many. No hoax. He was totally dead. Now he is totally alive. And so we have here then all these various appearances that John gives here. And so we only are going to look at two this morning and we'll look at the third next week. And so the first one that we see here is exactly as you see there, Jesus, he appears to Mary Magdalene. So you, of course, have read of Mary Magdalene, and perhaps you know something about her. Um, we don't know a ton about her, but maybe you know something about her. And so who was this woman? Like I said, we don't know a lot, but man, we see that she's important. I mean, she's found in every single gospel. She's important. And, and not just that. She is the first one who gets to see Christ resurrected. <laughs> wow! You know, incredible privilege. So we see she is important. 
And we learn as well, going back in her life a bit, learning from Luke 8 too, that you know, she also had these seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. And then we also know, at least from her name, we know that she was from Magdala. That's why Magdalene, Magdala was a town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so this is where she was from. So Mary Magdalene. And so this is who she was. And, and so here she is. And while the disciples, they all kind of, you know, they went home. And, you know, at some point here, you know, she made her way back to the tomb. Maybe while the disciples are going back, she's walking, you know, and, and making her way there, you know. But she's, she's there. And as she stands there outside the tomb, we see it plainly. I mean, she is just, she's just overcome, you know? I mean, kind of as we began kind of envisioning what she was going through as she's kind of coming to this point, I mean, she is just having this increasingly deepening sorrow as all these things are happening. She's not looking out for resurrection or any of this stuff. And so she's, she's just there and she's just weeping. And so as is plain from her answer here to the two angels and even to Jesus, though she doesn't, doesn't know it's Jesus, she thinks it's the gardener. I mean, she wants to know what they did with her Lord. Where did they put my Lord? And if, if she's here amazed, which, you know, you'd be inclined to think she was, but if she was amazed and awestruck, by the two angels there. We aren't told that, at least in John's gospel. So um, she, she doesn't, you know, we don't have any effect. She was like terrified, you know, as most people are when they see angels. But interestingly, she just kind of tells them plainly, you know, well, I just, I want to know where they put his body. And so it's just being emphasized for us that she's just heartbroken. She wants her Lord back. Now, no thought of him being alive, risen. What we are seeing, and what we are seeing very evidently, is her love for the Lord. She loves him. And she would have him be honored in his burial at least. And yet that too evades her. And so it is then in the midst of her deep despair that she has here, wondering where they put Jesus she hears his voice. She hears his voice. And, and this really is an incredible moment. You know, as I, as I was studying this and, and reading this passage, you know, I just envisioning this scene, even as I was seeking to have you envision it with me. You know, the sorrow, the despair here, the heartbrokenness of Mary. And as I, as I read verses 14 and 15, I just kind of gasped. Just at the, the wonder of it. Let's read it again. It says there in verse 14 and 15. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. 
he simply just says her name and she knows it's him. And as we, we hear that, just imagine if you were her. How like all this wonder, this awe, this unhindered kind of sorrow dispelling joy that would just fill your heart at that moment. I mean, you have all these things, these questions, this confusion, this sorrow. You're broken hearted. You wonder where your Lord is. And then he just says, Mary. And you're like, what? It's him. Incredible. That sorrow had just gone. You see why I just kind of gasped as I'm reading this? I'm like, oh, man. She was just probably bawling, you know, at these things. And as he says his words to her, to add to all of this kind of wonder, you and I, as we kind of back up and remember all of John's gospel, we're meant to remember another part of John's gospel, we're meant to remember these words from John chapter 10, verse 27, which just adds to how powerful this is. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Lord! <laughs> She recognizes his voice immediately. You know, after we, after we came back from Crossings Camp, you know, last week, of course, we just, I can't brag on that place enough. It was just, it was such a joy and blessing to all of us who went. Um, but of course, as you know, when you go on a trip, it's always a joy to come home to, you know? <laughs> Um, and so we were glad to come home, and, and as we came home, at hearing our voices, you know, our children, they erupted with what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with delight, you know, and joy at seeing mommy and daddy, you know, coming home and coming and running after us and giving us hugs and kisses and greeting us and all these things. Well, why? Because they knew our voice. Hey guys, we're home. I mean, immediately, <laughs> you know, they don't need to know that. They don't need any questions. Oh, that's dad right there, you know. And we knew their voice too. So as we consider these verses, consider how then is to be your response to your Lord, to his word right now. As we're reading our Bibles here this morning, you are hearing the word of the Lord, your Lord. And I just say to us, look at her response. <laughs> Is that your response this morning? Like, oh, my Lord! is speaking. I want to hear that. I want to study that. I want to get into that. I want to learn more about that. I want to get in my heart. I want to get in my mind. I want to be near my Lord. So as we hear his word preached, are you kind of coming to the table like Mary here? As you come into the body of Christ, are you coming recognizing this is the body of my Lord? 
So we're not distancing ourselves from it. Because then we would be distancing ourselves from our Lord and His voice and His word as well. Just what fountains of joy erupt out of her, out of Mary at hearing her Lord's voice. And so I just say, let's learn from that. (laughs) Much to learn there for me and for all of us from her and her response. And then here we see at Jesus' words in verses 17 through 18, she ceased clinging to him. Now, as we come to these verses, I just want to encourage us. Let's not be ashamed to admit that these verses are not the easiest to understand. (laughs) And I'll show you, I'll tell you why in a second. And let me just say, it's okay to be honest. And I just say that across the board. It's okay to be honest with what you do and you don't understand about your Bible, you know? It's okay to ask questions about what God's word says and trying to understand it better. And it's good to be honest as you come to the word of God and you say, Lord, I am a mess, but just do your work in me. And I don't care if you, if I have to, if you expose this sin or expose that, do that, God. I just want to be honest. I want to be real before you. Show me whatever. Change me in any way you would have me change. All for your glory. If there's pride there, there's arrogance there, there's anger there, there's fear there, there's anxiety there, do your work in me. Just to honesty. I think it's just, it should be the, the demeanor we have as believers, just a humble honesty in all of life as we come and gather or we're home alone before the word. And so let's be honest here, and this is a difficult passage. For instance, what does Jesus mean by not clinging to him and his ascending to the Father? If you don't see that as a problem, well, he does let disciples and Thomas touch him or at least offer to touch him so does it mean he ascended and then he came back no because <laughs> we know in Acts what he ascends there right so you see kind of how this can be a little challenging does this mean no one can touch him but then again we come to the problem of well Thomas you know <laughs> touch, touch here Thomas touch here you know so you see, not an easy passage. There's many questions here. And, and part of the challenge of the wording, or part of the challenge is the wording here. And so Jesus is saying, don't cling to me because Mary, very likely, and I would say probably, I mean, almost 100% she was. Um, she was indeed doing just that. But the, the sense is, is that she's clinging to him as though he might be going away and she won't see him again. Like she's trying to keep him there, you know, like don't go anywhere, you know, <laughs> like please don't go, you know. And that's kind of the sense behind this. She doesn't want him to go anywhere. And so Jesus is essentially saying here to him, to her, don't hold on to me. I'm not going anywhere yet. For I will ascend to the Father, but I haven't yet. You don't need to cling on to me as as though I am going away now. That's the sense behind what's going on here. And so in this, he's saying he will be going to his father and her father 
to his God and to her God. And so we see here that he's just responding differently. Even as Thomas, he doesn't believe and he's saying touch anywhere. But with her, she's like, don't go anywhere. And so he's saying, you don't have to cling to me. You really don't. I'm going to be here for a little while longer. And so I will ascend, but you don't have to cling to me. You get that? And so she believes and she knows him and one day we'll be with him also. And so from all this, as we're kind of seeing all these things about her, her being overcome by her Lord being gone, her hearing his voice and the delight that arises within her soul and her clinging to him here, I think from all this we see our own exhortation to delight in our Lord or to delight in your Lord. Now, of course, like you, I delight in all kinds of things, you know. <laughs> I delight in all kinds of food, you know. I, I like, uh, you know, um, bacon. I mean, how many of you like bacon? Yes, hopefully everybody in this room. And if not, I just can... You know, maybe we have a meeting afterwards or something. I don't know. <laughs> we have a talk and we can talk through this. Um, but yeah, so I, I delight in bacon. I delight in Tex-Mex as well quite a bit. And I certainly delight in ice cream, you know. Um, I, I delight in those things. Uh, but they don't, they don't and they should not rise to, to this level, right? To this level of delight. Our delight in Christ our Lord, is to be an all-encompassing kind of delight. So every aim, every motivation, every desire, all come under our delight, our love for, and our worship of Christ. So Mary's love for her Lord here is abundantly plain, and so also her faith-wrought response at seeing Him again, and so also then, your delight in Christ is to surpass all other delights. A delight that is an engaging of the mind, even as I prayed before, an engaging of the heart and your affections. Men, love your Lord. Cry out to Him. Look at David in the Psalms and see how he weeps before God and see how you are called to do the same. A deep, deep love for your Lord that goes into every part of your life. And learn from her response here. The sheep's response to his voice is just gladness, joy. Here is the one. Here is the chief object. Here is the chief delight of my soul. Above anyone else. Here is my Lord. And we see it here with her. And friends, let me just say that we indeed do have a delighting problem. And I would find this, this delighting and slash joy problem we have as a bigger issue than we may think it to be. We delight in so many things when God has said that he is to be our chief joy, our chief delight, our chief love above anything and everything else. 
It is when, when we turn our eyes away from him and from delighting and trusting and leaning upon him that we begin getting all messed up, right? All disheveled in our lives and in our marriages and our relationships, in our workplace, in our homes, with our children. It's a delighting that trusts in the Lord in all those things. I mean, just consider just those things, your marriage or children or singleness or ambition. You know, in your marriage, you know, there's a conflict going on over money or some argument or something else or with your children and you're battling with being patient with them or, you know, whatever it be, or, you're, or even lifting them up. You've made them your trophy. You've made them your idol. If, they, if anyone touches my children, uh, you touch my idol, and that's my God. You cannot touch my God. And, and if you don't think that happens, it happens. I've seen it happen. And what an explosion happens with son-in-laws and daughters-in-laws and families and the mess that comes along with all that. Or singleness. Man, I have to be married. I have to have to be married. You know, I remember I, I wanted to be married and I didn't know if I was going to be. And there was a point where I just said, Lord, if I never get married, that's fine. If you want me to be single for the rest of my life, I'll be single. I'll just, I'll just serve you, whatever you want me to do. And then I'm at Megan. <laughs> or if it's ambition, you know, I've got to achieve this. I've got to, my job means everything. I have to be successful. I've got to achieve this. I've got to gain the honor. I've got to have the worldly acclaim. I've got to, got to, got to do all these things. Now, I'm not saying we don't, we don't face real struggles or we won't face real struggles with each of these. But God is to be our chief delight above our spouses, above winning that argument, above our children and lifting them up as our God, above our searching after or trying to find a husband or wife, above a position or power or glory. He is to be our chief delight. And when he is your chief delight, I mean, what's going to get in your way? I mean, you'll go anywhere, right? You'll take this job or not. You'll say, oh, God wants me to go to the mission field. I'll do that. He wants me to be a pastor. I'll do that. He wants me to you know, go serve and share the gospel throughout this area. I'll do that. It's risky. Maybe people may reject me. People may not like me. Uh, you may say mean things to me or whatever else. But I'll do that. Because my answer is always, I delight in Christ and in His Word. And I want to do whatever my Lord says. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so delight and grow in your delight in Him. And so go to God, go to His Word, go and be part of His people. Learn from the delight that we see here, the sheep delighting in their shepherd. Mary delighting in her Lord. Even as you and I are called to delight in our Lord.
And so we see then this appearance before Mary Magdalene. And then second, we see Jesus, he appears to his disciples. Now notice here, it's still Sunday. So the first day of the week, there's verse 19 there, if you're wondering where that is. So it's still Sunday, that's today, first day of the week. And so I know I've said this before, but that's why we rejoice and we worship on Sundays. It's the Lord's day. He was risen on a Sunday. So in contrast to Mary, though, as we're looking at her and how she was overcome here, the disciples, in a different way, they are afraid. And so the doors of where they are, they aren't kind of merely shut. They are secured. They are locked. They are dead bolted with a chair in front of it. You know, I mean, they, we don't want anybody in here, you know. You know, and this reminds me of an episode of Andy Griffith. I don't know if you guys have watched that or seen that. Um, we actually watch that on, on Saturdays in the morning usually as a, as a family. Well, in, in one of the episodes, as you know, like Barney Fife, the deputy of Mayberry, well, he comes and he finds out that this man that uh, he had arrested or put in jail broke out of jail. And so this man broke out, and he's coming for Barney. He even told people, when I get out, I'm going to get Barney, you know. And so it, this is what's going on here. And so when Andy, the sheriff of Mayberry, goes looking for Barney, trying to find him, as he finds this out himself, he finds Barney, but he finds Barney in his room, and he has this big old dresser in front of the room, and he's kind of hiding out, you know. And trembling and fear and all these things. Well, you get the point, you know. This is what, something of the image I get here of the disciples, they are afraid. I mean, they aren't, they aren't sure what's going to happen to them. You know, if they, if they flogged, they crucified, and they killed Jesus, what were they going to do to his followers then? And so in the midst of their fear, we see then... In the midst of all that, that big storm, the fear, they're there, not knowing what's ahead. Amen. We see then his peace. So while they're on the lookout, Jesus, he appears before them. We aren't told how he did this, or really much at all, except that he just appeared before them. He didn't, he didn't break the door down to get in. He didn't climb up a window or anything like that. He just appears before them and he tells them, as we know for the other Gospels, they're kind of like, ah, you know, and they're kind of afraid. Well, he tells them, peace be with you. Now, we might think that that was just simply to calm their fears, which I think it partially was. But I think it's more than that. And he says it again in verse 21 as well. He wants them to remember his words. What words? Well, John 16, 33, I have said these things to you. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so he shows them his hands and, and feet and that he has a real body. He is the same Jesus. And now though now. Through his offering to God, he has achieved 
peace with God for all those who look to him by faith. And that is what God is calling for you to do today if you don't know Christ this morning. All these things, his certainly being dead and all these appearances, it's declaring to you, Jesus is alive. He came, he was buried, and he rose again that you may believe and have life by faith in him. By looking to Christ, you'll be saved and all your sins forgiven. And so he appears to them and they rejoice. And again, we see all this is happening just as Jesus said in John 16, 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again in your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And so they believe. They get it and they're getting it. But that peace isn't to remain with them. And I don't, I don't mean like, peace like remain with them and like you know uh it's going to be taken away like jesus is at some point going to kind of take away that peace from them but no i mean like that peace isn't to be locked away in that room like you stay in that room (laughs) you know keep the peace there keep the peace in this room and don't let it get out that's what i mean and so appropriately then we see next his sending verse 21 and so he reminds them of his words from John 17 13 which was really just a moment ago as he says as the father has sent me even so I am sending you and so he reminds them that this gospel in this peace it is to go out not stay in it is to go out the reality of his resurrection it is an exclamation point where it isn't calling us to go simply saying come and see which just hear me here yes tell people come and see invite them to church but that's not primarily what you're called to it's calling us to say and go out and basically go go and tell these things tell of his coming tell of his dying tell of his rising, tell of his salvation, and to go and tell people and call people to believe. We have a go and tell religion, not a come and see religion. Did you know that? That's why just inviting to church is not going to work. Go, be therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say stay and hope that disciples come to you from the nations. <laughs> he doesn't say any of that. And his coming and his dying and his rising and his commissioning, they are to motivate our going. Yet as we go, and as we go to do these things, we go as his people. And so this, this gets, root, gets at the root of these verses here in verses 22 through 23. And again, these aren't the easiest of verses. I mean, is, is he giving them the Spirit of God right now? And the answer would have to be no, because of Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 1 and 2. And Acts 1-8 is what I'm thinking there. And so 
you know, so this isn't that. And so what is he doing? Well, he's breathing on them and he, he exhorts them to remember his words back in John chapter 14 through 16. You can go back and listen to those or read those yourself. And so his breathing on them reminds them of the Holy Spirit who will soon come. And it declares as he, as he came and tabernacled among us, now they will go with the Spirit of God in them as God's new covenant community to tell the world of all that Christ has done. Not by their power, but by the power of the Spirit of God. And so, that is what he's doing. And, and as we look at this last verse here, in verse 23, it isn't us doing the forgiving here, the, the emphasis in these words, and in the Greek, they are passive, and it's actually a divine passive, which may not mean much to you, but basically, in other words, it's God who is the one doing the forgiving. Divine passive. He is the one doing it. And the disciples then, and us, we are the ones going under Christ's commission, declaring the gospel, declaring the forgiveness found in Christ and Christ alone. And so at this and to them and to us, we are being called to now go in his peace. Go in his peace. And if you know Christ here this morning, you have his peace. Your sins are forgiven but we don't kind of stop there, do we? We don't say, you know, I have my card. I'm good, if you know what I mean. You know how everyone kind of said, you know, this is kind of a, a get, of, get out of hell free card kind of thing. Well, that, that's not what Christianity is. It's not like, you know, I, I'll get my card and then I'll never live for Jesus again. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to be with other believers. I'm not going to live for Christ. I'm not going to follow Christ. I'm going to the, exhibit the fruit of obedience. None of that stuff. Let me just tell you, if that's not going in your life, you have very real question to ask, do I even know Christ at all? Because we've already seen from the Gospel of John, real believers do follow Him. They bear fruit because they're attached to the vine. So a card, that's not what you, you need to have. Like, I'm going to be a fine, I got my card. No, 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 no. Do you have Jesus? Do you know Christ? And so let me ask of all of us here, how would you live if Jesus was really alive? Would it change anything? Would it change the way that you work, the way you treat your spouse, the way you live your life, the way you get an education, the way you go about your day, how we do church here at Haven Baptist Church? Would it change the way things go for you? And why? Why would it change things? Well, in view of the risen Christ and empowered by the Spirit of God, if Christ is risen, and let me say, He is risen, that means it would and it should change absolutely everything in your life. 
everywhere you go, every, the way you speak, the way you, your demeanor, what you wear, everything about you is absolutely changed because of Christ being risen from the dead. And so it is that we just declare the words of Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we just go out. Yeah, we're afraid. Yeah, we'll be rejected. But if he's really risen, is there really anything you have to be afraid of? If he overcome death, then what else do you have to be afraid of? (laughs) So this year we began 2021 continuing our aim at Haven that every single member at Haven Baptist Church would seek to reach one person for Christ. So let me ask you, how is the risen Christ affecting you? How is it affecting your witness for Christ? And let me ask this too, who is your one? You know, we began the year asking that question, but who is your one? who's one person that you are or you will begin seeking to win for Christ. Just one person. We're not talking about 300. Just one. Just one person that we can win for Christ. As the minister and the founder of the Sunday School Movement, Henry Henry Trumbull, he said this, reaching one person at a time is the best way of reaching all the world in time. And the best way to begin in this work is to begin. And the best time to begin is now. So how will you change the world? One person at a time. And how will they be changed? By following and proclaiming the risen Savior. With our hearts delighting in Him, peace, ours, our mission clear we go out not ashamed nor because we are sufficient for these things but we go out as those who really believe and know the risen Christ and we want you and we want all to know him also so we go because he is risen he is risen indeed let's pray Father, we just set ourselves before you this morning. We pray, Father, that you would help us to respond to your word and just examine. I just pray that each one of us would just, I know myself included, every one of us has reason to examine our hearts this morning. Where's our delight? In the things of God. Are we delighting in you, Lord? Have we put other things before you? Have we loved our spouses or our children or our uh, pursuit of a spouse or uh, even our jobs more than you? Help us, Father, to examine ourselves, consider our hearts. 
and help us, Father, to, to be willing to risk and to go. And as, even as you call us to, we go out following and declaring and proclaiming the risen Savior. So help us even to ask right now, who is our one? One person we can reach for Christ. Not in theory, not in the abstract, but one person. And so may you help us right now to consider that. And consider even our own salvation, whether we know you or not. And so may we do that. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, may they see their need for him. Anyone playing the game of Christianity, they don't know Christ truly, may they see that. May we all respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.